Thank you for tuning in to Humble Hermeneutic, a Jew 3 Project podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the Jew 3 Project and is made possible by generous supporters like you. If you would like to become a monthly supporter of the Jew 3 Project or give a one-time gift, you can do so at Jew3Project.org. Or you can take our online courses or get our curriculum at Jew3Project.org as well. And we also have merch available. I hope you enjoy this episode with Yana Connor and Dr. Cynthia James. And I hope that you develop a humble hermeneutic. Hello, Ms. Yana. We are back again with Humble Hermeneutics. And just in case you missed our last session, we want you to know, session, let's start that over again, section. <laughs> then uh, we want you to know that what we're attempting to do is to come to the word, not as arrogant uh, interpreters, but seeking to be, have some method of reading, reading out of the text, observing it, and moving toward applying it in our lives and hopefully in your lives. So join us for uh, our dialogue and our unrehearsed conversation. We're beginning the book of Esther. And uh, for today, we want to just talk about uh, what we see in the first one or two chapters. Uh, Yana, can you kind of summarize what sticks out for you in the beginning of this book? Yeah. And so when we come to the book of Esther, kind of where we are in the timeline of uh, Israel is that they have been exiled, right? And so, uh, and many of them have been exiled um, and placed into other uh, kingdoms. Um, and so we come to Esther and we learn about this king, King. Um, you can call him X if you want, but Xerdes or- <laughs> Let's go with King X. <laughs> yeah, okay. So we come to, to King X. Um, and he's reigning on his throne and he's he's throwing a party, you know, yeah. he's he's throwing a big, elaborate party. I mean, this is like Jay-Z, P. Diddy level nonsense. Mm. <laughs> I, I get I get to go. OK, you get to I get go. invited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so and it's a seven day party. And so uh, King X decides that, hey, he wants to, to flaunt his woman, that he wants people to admire her beauty, because in his eyes, she is the most beautiful woman in the kingdom. And so he calls Queen Vashti to come out and flaunt her stuff. And she says, no, she refuses uh, the request of the king. Now, you can imagine that this is this 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 hurts his ego, <laughs> you know, like he the king. He been throwing a seven day party. All his homies are around and like you're not going to come out, you know, Um but she she refuses to come out. And so King X, uh, what he does is he consults his 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 councilmen. He consults the wise men of that day and says, like, hey, like what what should I do about the fact that Queen Vashti didn't come out and uh, uh, honor my my request? And here's what these these men suggest uh, to him that according to the law, what should be done to Queen Vashti since she refused to obey you, uh, your command is that um, she should be removed as queen um, and that she should be removed to, to, to give an example to the whole kingdom that women should obey their husbands. And, and the, the, the consensus was if you let Vashti off the hook, then it's gonna set a precedent for what is allowable 
in in the home, right? right. Um, and so King X is like, hey, I think this is, you know, this is a good idea. <laughs> you know, it serves his ego and um, it puts Vashti in her place. And with that, all the women in their kingdom. And so they send out an edict. Like this is just how serious this matter was in King's ex eyes that they they sent out an edict um, letting everyone know that, hey, every, all the women should obey their husband no matter what. Um, and so what sticks out to me in this passage when I look at it is like, so why why didn't Vashti want to go strut her stuff? <laughs> you know, like what was it about the king's request? that was um, so upsetting, you know, or uh, that she felt like, no, I'm not not going to do that. Um, because, you know, women, we like to strut our stuff. <laughs> you know, like we... <laughs> you get the point, you don't have much stuff to strut. So <laughs> we got to find something else, but okay. I, I but you, 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 you get what I'm saying, I right? And so uh, we like to be admired. We like to be desired. But um, it seems like, Queen Vashti didn't want to be exploited, right? Um, that that she didn't want her beauty to be put um, on display, that she didn't want to be a King X trophy. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. So that just really, that really stands out to me that you have this woman in this ancient world making a very, like, uh, somewhat a political statement in a sense, um, and that she's putting her foot down, um, knowing that there's going to be backlash. Like she knows that there's going to be backlash, but she, she, it's almost like she knows that she's not being treated like a human and she refuses, um, his request because she refuses to, to not be treated like, like a human. And so I don't know that just, that really stands stands out to me. There, there's an interesting evolution in your thought where from what woman doesn't want to strut her stuff till obviously deciding that she may have felt very objectified. Um, mm -hmm. There's some nuances in the text that are just amazing. One is that we know this is a very serious time historically, as you have said, and the burden ultimately is going to be on her to do something to save her people. But it begins with this absurd, light, over-the-top, extravagant party. And I just wonder how often are we indulging in these frivolous things that are pervading the news when there are lives and the realities of people at stake. So there's a super contrast between the, the comical I mean, it's comical to the extent that it goes on so long. The scripture suggests that he is heavily, I guess the word would be bibulous, bibulous. Anyway, he's been drinking a whole lot <laughs> and uh, he's feeling the juice at this point. Mm -hmm. And so it is at that point that he invites her, but she's not just sitting somewhere doing her nails. She has her own audience. She has her own event going on. And how often do we have our own life event going on? but we are expected to drop it to be a slice in someone else's. So that, you know, there's no regard for the fact that there's a woman's uh, party or a woman's something going on in the palace in mm -hmm. Susa, which is their retreat home. Um, so there's this disregard. And she does, I think, feel somewhat like I'm not your eye candy. She must count the costs. And the costs apparently for her appear to be, I'd rather say no 
and risk being um, impeached, dethroned or whatever, put out mm -hmm. than to be somehow subjectified. Now, it's hard to get the tone of what the author is saying. Is he really against Bastai? Is he really for Bastai? I just, you know, I came to the text naively years ago and just felt like, okay, she's out. Maybe this is just um, a foil and a ploy to make room for Esther because you got to vacate the spot to get Esther in. But eventually I think it's much more than that. She is my heroine in the text mm -hmm. um, because she has her own audience and she appears to be content with that. There are some that writers have said have made up a reason, you know, that there's some impression that since he says, come wearing your royal diadem, that maybe that's all he wanted her to wear mm -hmm. um, before his heavily drunken uh, companions or whatever. I don't think there's much support for that here nor there, but I agree with the way you put it. You know, um, it's, it's not timely. He's saying, leave what you're doing and come over here and be sport for what I'm doing and make my event. And there's something about us learning how to be true to our agendas, um, not not in a competitive way necessarily with males, but knowing what it is, is the task in front of us. Now, I'll be make, maybe I'm making her much more of a political activist than she is, um, but I love this woman. I mean, I, I, I really love her. Yeah, I, I absolutely love her as well. Um, but here's the thing, growing up when I heard this story or heard uh, this passage preached, it was always about how Vashti was dethroned because she was not yeah. permissive, right? And that she Well, that's a bad word. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's, I'm not saying that personally, but yeah, mm -hmm. that word just strikes everything. Yeah, and that she she was wrong, you know, that she was wrong in her decision to not honor the king's request um, and that you know, women need to be, you know, like just even like, you know, uh, exhorting wives to be submissive to their husbands, you know, like I've just seen this text used more so in, in that regard versus as seeing a woman who was being exploited and her standing up, like for the fact that she is created in the image of God. Now, I'm with you because that's, I think we're articulating the same thing. But then when I swivel my chair and I look at it differently, I wonder, when is it wiser to deal with the temporary indignation um, for the sake of maintaining influence? In other words, there's some roles that you and I probably could have protested, you know, whether it was with professors or employers or whatever, but we would have been out of the job. Mm -hmm. um, and so at what point, and I don't know that we have an answer for this, but I'm just, I'm just saying another way that I also look at her, uh, and, and I don't think the author did all that. I think he was making room for Esther, but she's not a shallow character. But when I translate that, I don't want to be an always no person because sometimes I need to hang in there for the sake of being able to share whatever, whether it, if it's just the, the mis missteps in my life or the benefits or the hindrances or whatever of the experience. So I think that, you know, okay, this is risky. I always think about Martin Luther King, what a wonderful leader he was, you know, all the streets named after him, all the schools, all the boulevards, all these things. But I'm quite sure, I don't know this, but maybe there are moments when his wife and his family put my pillow, my back pillow out of 
Mama got a back pillow, put it out of sight. Um, there were probably moments when his family would have preferred to have him there despite the good that he did. There are times that I wonder, should we not say no and tolerate uh, what we is clearly uh, not just, it's an injustice, for the sake of maintaining influence for uh, the future. Um, I, I, I won't use the example necessarily it comes to my mind, but I can think of people who are not alive anymore and how I wish they had just endured a little bit more so we could have the benefit of their experience and their wisdom. And sometimes it creates a vacuum of a, a much needed voice. Other thing I want you to think about is how amazing it is, and this emerged as you were talking, you know, when you were talking about the advisors to um, Exertes said, you know, you better do an executive order here and shut down all the women. How others see women sometimes with more power than we may see ourselves. Well, that's reading a lot into Vasco. Mm -hmm. But the assumption was that her one action could just send a rip, universal ripple because that was the world right then, that the Persian kingdom. Um, and I don't know that we think of ourselves as people who really move the world with the choice. Man, that's so good. Uh, that's so good. Uh, so your first question, <laughs> um, I just, so, you know, being a black woman who, you know, went to a predominantly white seminary who served in predominantly white churches, um, there's this reality that I have to navigate those worlds in a particular way in order to have influence, right? In order for my voice uh, to be heard. Um, and that has been a hard journey for oh, yeah. me, you know, to, to sort of pick and choose when to assert myself, um, to uh, pick and choose when to ask questions rather than making statements. Um, always feeling like I'm in a position where I have to uh, prove my intellect or prove that um, I have something worth listening um, to. Like, and I've, I've experienced when, when you know, particularly white men or white women have experienced me for the first time. Um, they they kind of you know, defer to my male counterpart in that meeting, right? And then, you know, I have to sort of find a way to be able to say what needs to be said um, so that we can move forward. And so one of the things I used to, like, I used to consult people in college ministry. And so there were times where it was like, Yana, you need to put your ego <laughs> to the side for the sake of these students being reached for the gospel. And that's a, that's a hard decision um, to make because it's like, it's like, I shouldn't have to do this work, right. In order to be heard. Why? Because like Vashti, I'm a person created in the image of God, you know, and I'm a person who's been saved by grace and who's been gifted with spiritual gifts so that I could, you know, um, benefit the church as a whole. And so to have to go through these extra hoops, um, has been has been difficult. But here's the thing that I've I've learned is like I live in a fallen world. And so because of that, I live in a fallen world. But then in conjunction with that, God has created me to be black and female. And that was a very intentional choice um, that that he made. And that in that, like I need to bear 
both the the burdens and the joys, you know, of being black and female um, in in America. And so sometimes I have to put the the um, the goal, you know, or put the interests of others uh, before um, my own interests. And I have to take that same journey that Jesus took in dying to myself for the sake of of others being able to share in the blessing of of God's grace. And that that's that's just been it's been a hard journey. It doesn't mean that all the time I don't speak up or that I don't, you know, uh find the exit door, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, or or things like that. But it just it's just a journey that I have to take. And really that's where the spirit comes comes in for me, um, where I have to choose sort of when to assert myself and when when not, you know. Um to to do that and and i hate that that's the journey um that that i have to take um sometimes and um yeah so that's how i would how i would respond before Um, you go to the second part of that about being seen as having a lot of power let me interject something um less somebody who's listening to us hear that king james language lest um (laughs) (laughs) lest lest someone think that it's always that male female as with vastine exertes um in the day when i started in ministry in the 70s um sometimes that opposition was from same race same gender persons because it was like you are not meeting the expectation of what a christian woman woman or mother should do or be or whatever. Sometimes that suspicion has come because of uh, academics that you could not really know the Lord and be on track because you read too many books, or you haven't read enough books, or you're you have too much demonstration of the Spirit, or you don't have enough demonstration of the Spirit. Or I've heard from people I haven't had this luxury who have said they've had to uh, resist endure because of their physical appearance. They were so attractive and Bastides present us as beautiful till they got cataloged based on their, you know, their beauty. So I'm not, I'm not sure there's ever a journey. I hear you saying, I hate the journey. I do too, but I don't know if anyone has a journey that is not certainly to different degrees saddled by um, wrong expectations. However, it generally is not to the extent of where their life is at risk and mm-hmm. where their livelihood is at risk, as we find very often among ourselves. So, yeah, I don't know if we have time, if you can answer that power question as being seen with more power and perceived as having more power than sometimes we perceive ourselves as having. Yeah, that the that observation that you, you made is, I'm like, yeah, like apparently people understood how powerful Vashti decision was and how that could empower other women to make similar choices. And but do you think they would have? I don't know. Do you think she really was a role model or do you think this was an overreaction? Do, do, it, it's, it's hard to know. I think it, it's hard for me to know, you know? Yeah. Um, um, maybe, maybe not. Some, you know, that's see some women, you know, in the in the kitchen You know, and so I I could see that, you know. Um, and yeah, and usually kings and queens set the precedent for how everyone else lives, and they look to them for a direction, and 
um, those kinds of things. But even so then, might... she was. Go ahead. No, even then, she was a perceived threat, right? So we um, might look to our own legal system and read it from a perspective of where there have been reversals in civil rights once granted or or mm -hmm. other things in the law that are limiting, not so much um, at th that the suppression is really a metric of just how powerful we are perceived to be, that our numbers in prison or or the, the uh, refusal to give accurate history in our history books are uh, an endorsement of who we are. There, there's a lot of identity stuff going on in this text. Um, I don't know. Well, what do you do with this text? How, how, how do you ultimately, because we can land anywhere, how do you ultimately respond to it? Well, well, you said something that was really powerful just then. Let's talk about it. <laughs> and um, it, it made me think about how oppression is always, like it always is associated with power, that if there's some sort of power struggle. And we see that like even with the children of Israel and Pharaoh, right? Like he is concerned that power is going to slip from his hands. And so because of that, he oppresses uh, the, the Israelites. And we see the, we see the same in, in America, right? That, um, you know, people didn't get really concerned about the border or immigration. Maybe there were some concerns, but they didn't become really, really concerned about it until they heard that Hispanics will probably be the majority <laughs> in America, right? That's when it was like, wait a second, <laughs> something's going to ride here. We can't lose our footing. Um, so like, let's go build a wall, you know, or let's make stronger immigration laws and those kinds of things. So it's, it's, it's steeped in power. Um, um, that's always the root of it. And we see that here as well. And we see that all throughout this book, Esther, like uh, King X is just really like power hungry. You know, anytime his ego is threatened or anytime he's presented with something that's going to make him pr look more powerful, like he he chooses he chooses his ego, you know, um, every single time. And so that's that's one thing you said that just really stood stood out to me and makes me want to like go go and think more about that and do some more research on just even how we see that in the multiple ways that people experience oppression um, even now. Um, but yeah, what do we do with with a text like this? Um, I, what, Queen Vashti for me sort of represents like not allowing anyone to treat you um, as less than you are, right? That if you believe that you are a person created in the image of God, then you, you in a sense, move in the world and sort of demand that people treat you that way. Um, and when people refuse to do that, like you, you don't entertain, <laughs> you know, um, them or their, or their methods. And so, um, when I think about the civil rights movement, um, I just got finished reading a book by C.T. Vivian. He talks about sort of the fivefold objective of the civil rights movement. And he says that the first thing that they wanted to do was to uh, strengthen or redefine what it meant to be black. Right. That he wanted to build confidence um, in the people. Um based on this doctrine that you are created in the image of God. And so because you are create, created in the image of God, you 
should demand to be treated as such, you know, uh, and not to be treated as a second class citizen anywhere um, because because you are a human. And so I think that's what I, I get from from Vashti is this this courage to demand that people treat me as someone who's created in the image of God. I um, probably have to come up to your level. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, I think we're justified in making that demand. Mm-hmm. I just think we have to be calculating about when we make it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it because the Bible has taken us to prison reform, has taken us to education, has taken us to civil rights movement and oppression and identity struggles. In this, you know, trying to figure out what do we do with this text? I don't think we have to get closure. We probably agree with that because we can look at, that's why we're humble because, <laughs> um, you know, we can look at it from a number of different perspectives and um, we can land in different places. And ultimately we try to decide, can you hear me? Okay. Yes, ma'am. I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ultimately we try to decide what hearing of it works for us. Um, with, you, you're talking about CT Vivian and those, those five principles or, or pillars. So um, we uh, let's look at civil rights for a moment for oppression. When we look at people like um, Rosa Parks, I've heard her depicted as this little woman, this working woman, she's made a demand. You're not going to take my seat. Um, you, I'm going to hold my place, you know, goes to prison, goes to jail or whatever. But as history instructs us, that was not just a momentary decision. Um, she had been through whatever training they offered for nonviolent resistance. Mm-hmm. So she was prepared for that moment, mm-hmm. which suggests there were some moments preceding where she sat on Montgomery buses in the back. And I remember as a child seeing that sign. It was a little green sign that hooked on seats in Birmingham and colored section was behind that. So she endured till a point, um, but she was active in the NACP. I understand at her husband's urging. I just happened to talk to her cousin uh, this week, mm-hmm. her, her cousin-in-law, I guess it was, and she used to stay with them. So she had actually gone through training for a moment to make that demand. It wasn't a, uh, she had the right temperament. Uh, she had the make it home, get home again after I go to jail mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not always that I got a right, I'm making a demand. And I'm not saying you suggest that because you wouldn't be here now if you had demanded all your rights <laughs> up until this point, whether Amen. it's in jobs or churches or with parents or anybody else. So so there there is some uh, there's some mediation to that. But yes, at the core, we, we do have to figure out that identity. I mean, the first time I heard, I won't call a name, of one of our leading women preachers call Esther a tramp. I didn't hear anything else in the rest of the sermon because I just rattled my cages. Like Esther, Esther a tramp, the woman that started poor. But then the more I looked at it, I thought she was a little trampy, you know, I mean, she was, she was a little, and I wouldn't have used that word, but I, it helped me to hear, I was shocked into reading about her differently. I know we're talking about Vastai and we can save that for the next discussion. Uh, but I was shocked into seeing more uh, dimensions. I'll just leave it at that to our next discussion to who Esther was or still is in my mind. Yeah, I love that. Like there is balance. There is balance. I don't want, I don't want anybody to think I'm just like, oh, no. you know, 
but there is there is balance to that. And I think don't go out right now and throw that brick you feel like throwing in. Yeah, don't burn do that. that building. Don't do Tomorrow that. maybe, but not today. <laughs> not today. Think about it. Um, but I do think we see that balance in Rosa uh Parks, um, uh, where mm -hmm. she's like, No, you're gonna treat me like a person created in the image of God, but she does it in a way that um doesn't put her, you know, in in too much danger, you know, or she does it in a way that allows her to be a mediator um and to bring about to bring about change. And if I don't I know if anybody's and they have another bus ride. That wasn't and her bad bus, bus ride. ride. And have another bus ride. Um I just when you mentioned her, I was like, I want to highly recommend her autobiography um to to all of our listeners. It is a wonderful book and you will learn that Rosa Park was trill from the young age of five, six, and seven. Like she just been about that life for for a long time, <laughs> and uh, there are all these moments that built up to her being able to 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 say no um, when asked to to get off that bus. While we're doing a commercial, let's put a few more names out there. Yes, um, let's look at how Coretta Scott King sang mm -hmm. and raised funds for the movement. Let's look at Diane Nash. Uh, yes. And Selma, who's not given much credit for the Selma movement. Mm -hmm. um, another name, I don't want to mess it up. Her, lap, her first name is, I think it's Polly Murray. Yes. Uh, and her role, a very gender inclusive woman. Mm -hmm. um, and let's not forget uh, Ella Baker. Yes. And, uh, uh, and who really put together the, if I'm not mixing my places up, SCLC, the the SNCC mm -hmm. movement, Diane was with the nonviolent. And let's not forget uh, who I'm forgetting. I uh, can't think of the name right now. In Arkansas, that was the guide for the uh, Little Rock Nine that desegregated the high school there. Um, oh, uh, I, I can't pull the name right this second. But these were, and my favorite, all-time favorite, Love. Even she was a tell you how old I am. I love to tell how old I am. But she was a, a mentor for me in a group, not one-to-one. We flew us to New York, expenses paid, and on weekend poured into our lives, Miss Dorothy Hyde, who oh, sat wow. on, on, on the podium with Martin Luther King. But the women, and I just found this out, we're so out of Esther, but the women, okay, I'll call her Bastai. They didn't have much to say on the program in 1963. Mm -hmm. But they had a march down Independence Avenue while the men were marching down Pennsylvania Avenue. I love it. And they all got there together and then had an after fact thing where the women could tell their experience. And mm -hmm. the fact they didn't like it, they didn't get to share equally, but they didn't withdraw from the movement. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's my yeah. banter. Okay. I'm I'm not gonna add add my names. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wait. Um but well, I will add one. Fanny Lou Hamer. Yes, ma'am. Um, Fannie Lou Hamer, Hamer, Ida B. Wells, uh, Mary McLeod Bethune, um, all these women who stood in the gap for us, like Vashti and they Esther. Were they were both. Uh, and maybe, yeah. the, maybe there's a unity to the personality. There's a part of me that's Vashti and a part of me that must be Esther. I think that's what we're describing. Not oh, characteristics, but, but the blend of the two. Yeah. All right. Well, we you are. Don't want, you don't want to see Bastard coming out, right? Right. No, no, or no. you don't want you don't want Esther to come out at the wrong time. <laughs> but I need them both. 
Need them both. Need them both. Man, this is so good. This is so good. Um, I don't know if it's it's good. Well, I'm trusting it's good for our listeners because it's good for us. Um, and I love how you said these are these are unplanned conversations, unscripted um, conversations. And so thank y'all for uh, joining us today uh, for our second episode of uh, Humble Hermeneutics. And I hope that you will join us um, in our next episode where we will um, continue to be in Esther, but spend a little bit more time talking about uh, Esther uh, during that time. So hope to see you soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Humble Hermeneutic, a Jew 3 Project podcast with Dr. Cynthia James and Yana Connor. Remember to rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And also remember that you can become a monthly partner or a one-time giver of the Jew 3 Project at Jew3Project.org. Every gift helps equip and helps us produce more content like this. In addition, if you would like to get merch, take an online course, or get our curriculum, you can do so at Jew3Project.org. Remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it. God bless.